We will see. We, we've been, uh, thankfully, Steve and Drew came in to try to figure out what we're going to do today with a special event, and we'll see how that goes. The heart of the matter, but before we get there, there was a news alert last week that did not show up. So you will not be expecting me for the next couple of weeks, or for that matter, again. (laughs) The heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. I've taken some suggestions from Pastor uh, about what to teach. I think this might have been one that he gave me on his list. But if you recall, we've talked about the, the macro level, looking at the galaxies and being awed, impressed, uh, stupefied, recognizing that we have very, very s- small intellect. Then we looked at the micro level, and then we looked at the human level. If we're talking about the heart, which level are we talking about? Macro, micro, human. What do you think? Right where we live, the human level. Now, the event that I planned, which we don't know if it's going to come off, we will see. A former student of mine, I emailed him several weeks ago. I'm talking about the heart. The guy's a heart surgeon, and he's done all of these. I asked him, so what kind of operations do you do? And he listed these and gave me approximate percentages. He owes it all to you, too, doesn't he? Excuse me? He owes it all to you. I'm glad you asked that question or made that comment. He has promised me in repayment for teaching him, and I taught him 7th grade math, geometry, trigonometry, calculus, senior seminar, chemistry, physics, and physical science. So when I taught in the Christian school, this would have been the last millennium. His name is uh, Dr. Heath Dr. Keith Horvath, and he's out in Washington, D.C., and we're hoping to have him call in and project and talk about some of these things. Uh, Some more things about him. Former NIH, I don't know what your opinion of the NIH is right now, um, or the, (laughs) the CCP. Could you turn those lights... Could you, could you turn those lights off behind me? So uh, Chico, as we call him, um, hasn't changed much. He's just, uh, I've got several questions I'm going to ask him. Another picture of him. When you look at uh, what he has done, some of his references and where he's gone to school and what he's done, in the event I can't talk to him, I put those questions on. So here are some of the awards and honors and recognition. And you can skip all those ones on the top. The important one is the one on the bottom. And that is true. I went to Kiowa Island a couple of years ago. He says, I play once in the morning and once in the afternoon. I said, I don't want to shoot my entire golf budget in four days. So we just played one, one time a day. A lot of fun, kind of expensive. Here are the citations. Just think, since 2017, nearly 3,000 citations to this, to this guy. And he's done some, some incredible research work on heart surgery. Perhaps we'll talk about some of those things if we're able to get him online. But before we do that... Dr. Brian Purcell taught the men's breakfast several weeks ago. So some of you were there. And he started out by saying, uh, I want this group and this group and this group to do different things from the book. And so he had the people in the group teach the lesson. I've taught 39 years. I've never had the kids teach. The pay is the same. So you're going to teach today. 
Here's what Here's I'd like you to do. I've asked my lovely assistant to help me with this. Read or recite a favorite verse that has the word heart in it. Of course, this could only last 30 seconds or it could last 30 days. Now, we've got a couple of roving microphones around. If you'd raise your hand, um, Laurie is going to put the, the reference up here. And if you wish to elaborate or embellish that verse, go right ahead. Okay? So, while we're doing that, we've got a call in to Keith, and we're going to see if we can get, and I'm going to erase what's up here on the screen and try to get in contact with him. So, go right ahead, Lori. Well, that's going to be short. <laughs> so when there you go. In, you're going to use the boot. Trump's the Lord of all my heart. And it's from Proverbs 3, 5, 5, 6. 6. And a family prophet by 5. But it's, but it's me. It's me. It's part of all, all, all the words of God. Certain passages represent the setting of the world worldwide in my view. And if all of us are believers, truly, we have devotion. Today, Lord, so does the volume need to be on? I'm going to trust in you with all my all heart. heart. If we would do that, that okay. yeah, the microphone's active. Yeah, yeah, just okay. Thank you. Vinny Smith. That's one of my favorite verses. Trusting the Lord with all thy heart, lean not on your own understanding. And I, I. I lean on that verse all the time. So, thanks for recommending that verse. You guys, that would be that hard. And you, you may have to adjust the speaking phone to, to to keep it from, you know, feedback. Junk. The heart. Heart. Jeremiah seventeen. The heart is deceitful above all, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. I like that verse because it reminds me how quickly, gleefully, easily I can I can with the multitude jump into sin. And it's right and it's only all the Holy Spirit that can do that. Anybody else? We have we have Chris Chris over here. Psalm one hundred nineteen eleven. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against thee. Okay, thank you. Anybody else? All right, ready? John 14. John 14, one. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In this chapter, Peter had denied Christ. All right, thank you. Anybody else? Gloria Smith. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody, Anybody else? else? All right. All right. Kelly. Hebrews 4.12. For, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. All right. Thank, All right. You. thank you. Anybody else? All right. All right, Sam. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. 
And that is from? All right. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Keith, Keith, can you hear me? I can indeed. Great. I, I told him how you lost to me at Cougar three years ago. What did I lose? How did you shoot last week? Not too bad. I think I lost my sanity when we played. I think that's what I lost. And I'm assuming because you're on the screen there that an alligator didn't get you. No, saw plenty of them, but not, yeah, saw that. not a we single gator. <laughs> All right. Keith, I gave him a little bit of a background of what you have done and what you represent. Can you tell us a little bit about your education and how you became a surgeon? Sure. It was all a big mistake. No, I'm kidding. Um, my education. So I, it was as the pre-med advisor at the University of Chicago told me when I went to I talked to her about going to medical school. She said, you've had a rather checkered career. And, and I, was, I was only a sophomore in college at the time. Um, but I transferred to the University of Chicago and specifically with the intent of taking some medical school classes. Because at that point, I had left the concept of becoming a chemical engineer behind and decided that maybe maybe I should see if this med school thing is, is feasible. So my naive thought was that I would go to the University of Chicago, transfer in there because they had a medical school that was reasonably good, take a few of the classes in the medical school and see if I could do this doctoring thing. Uh, that actually happened, but the hilarious part was the classes that I was allowed to take as an undergraduate at the University of Chicago were basically graduate level science classes. They weren't doctoring classes, so to speak. I didn't see any patients or, or anything of, of the like, but uh, I, I was able to uh, get a little bit of a feel for it and decided I liked it, decided to stay there, applied early decision for medical school there and stayed. Uh, there are a lot of, <laughs> some people would say chance, I would say providence, uh, providential things occurred to allow that to happen. But that said, I then left the University of Chicago and went to Boston uh, and did a general surgery followed by a cardiothoracic surgery residency at the Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston. Um, and that's pretty much the, the in a nutshell, uh, the, the training that I received. Uh, as a surgeon there in Boston, I did over 3,000 operations uh, and felt very well prepared then to step out and joined the faculty at Northwestern University. And I was at Northwestern Chicago for about eight years and then went to the NIH, specifically the National Heart, Lung and Blood Institute, opened up or reopened, I should say, their cardiac surgery program. Uh, and I came to uh, resurrect that in 2004. It had been closed since 1990 uh, and start a brand new program there. Uh, had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, starting from scratch is, is quite exciting. Uh, and But I had said when I finished training, I was only going to do cardiac surgery 20 years, and then I was going to do something else. And the senior tour was still too hard for me. Uh, so I decided to uh, join the Association of American Medical Colleges. And it is there where I lead a team that focuses on improving clinical quality at academic medical centers all over the United States. And that's been a lot of fun as well. So I've been there for seven years now. So I think that brings it up to date. I hope that kept everyone awake, but happy to just, answer any other questions. Yeah, just give me a moment. I'm gonna wake up a few of the people out here in, in my class. And you know that I was able to do that, keep people awake. So tell us a little bit about the rewards of the profession that you went into. 
Oh, I think that's an important point to make because I would speak to medical students uh, as I, I, I was one of the only surgeons at Northwestern that taught physical diagnosis. And that's a class that the second year medical students take and it's their first sort of interaction with patients. And I liked it because it was a focus group of the up and coming generations of medical students and what they were deciding to do. And there were so many things that resonated with me in talking to them. And one of them, you know, in my mind, you have to decide whether you want to have patient care or patient contact or not if you're in, if you're in the medical profession. You say, well, aren't all doctors involved in patient contact? And it, it, there's varying degrees of it. I mean, you can be a radiologist and literally just look at pictures all day. Sorry if there are radiologists in the room. Um, or you could uh, be a pathologist and yeah, you interact with patients, but they're not really interacting with you. Uh, so then on the interacting with patient side, you have to decide whether you want to do medical or surgical approaches to patients' problems. And I saw that the surgical side of that fit my personality better. Uh, and it, it, to me, it ended up being an easy decision. Uh, but for other people, it, it's not that it's not that easy, and I think it's an important point to make, especially if you're trying to decide what you want to do in medicine, to sort that out and have that self awareness of what's going to work for you. And how about the negatives of your profession? So, I, yeah, and I probably didn't answer the positives very well. One of the reasons I chose cardiac surgery specifically was I really appreciated the fact that the patients did well and they could see themselves improving. One of the frustrating things for me when I was doing my medical rotations was you'd have a patient, for example, with chronic conditions that really needed their attention and to stay on a medical uh, regimen, and they didn't really see that these changes that were potentially occurring, which take decades, really made that much of a difference. So they would sometimes, you know, fall off of the, the course, so to speak. That doesn't happen in cardiac surgery. Uh, and the patients definitely see themselves getting better. And they, they can tell you when they come back and see you in the office that things have really changed and almost in universally for the better. So that was very rewarding. The downsides are because of the role that the heart plays uh, in our survival, you're going to have patients that also don't do well. Uh, there are patients that come in that are very sick, that need emergency operations, that have other problems aside from their just their cardiac or heart problems. And so you have to be prepared for that. You have to be able to talk to families about outcomes that are less than optimal. And you have to be able to explain that to patients ahead of time. So if there's a downside to it, I guess it would be that. But in many cases, it was... Uh, I, given understanding that the, the stakes were high for this operation of this intervention and everyone understood that. Okay. Okay. One of the surgeries that interested me the most was your revascularization because I read your paper and I go, man, that's got physics, chemistry, lab experience, uh, surgery, and of course, I was the one that introduced some of those things in high school. So tell us about revascularization. Sure. So revascularization in general involves either opening up the arteries to the heart, the coronary arteries with a stent, or you can bypass them. And they're literally taking other material, an artery, artery from inside the chest wall or vein from the leg, and you're creating a new pathway for that blood to get around that blockage in the coronary artery. But there are many people, an increasing number of, of patients that have already exhausted all of those conventional approaches, or they may have severe diabetes and their coronary arteries are very, very small and they're not amenable to either a stent or a bypass operation. So what do we do for those patients? And that was a, a, an area that I had interest in, and particularly because there is sort of the microcirculation of the heart. The heart if those blockages occur slowly over time, the heart will try to create its own new bypasses. It will, it will open up pathways, alleyways, if you will, that they can, it can expand a bit. Now, this isn't 100% effective. It's more of a response to uh, an injury, if you will, in many cases, or it's a response to sort of a chronic condition. But if we could speed that up, if we could sort of enhance that response, wouldn't that be better for the patients? And it would provide those that really don't have any other option and option. 
So there was a, there was a concept that you could create channels in the heart from outside of the heart right into the inside of the heart, and you could do that with a laser. Uh, and then the blood that was actually already inside the heart could potentially go out through these channels and across the muscle uh, that you had uh, penetrated with that channel and get right directly into the heart muscle. And reptiles have this type of circulatory system. They don't really have much in the way of coronary arteries on the surface of their heart. The blood to their heart muscle comes directly from inside the heart. Every time the heart squeezes, pushes some blood right into that muscle. And so that was the, the concept, the hypothesis behind this. Uh, laser treatment, this laser revascularization. What we found in doing a, a number of different experiments in a, in a number of different animal models was that it actually stimulates angiogenesis. It stimulates new blood vessels to grow because you're delivering a very concentrated amount of energy to a very precise point uh, in the tissue. And it's almost like a, a natural healing response to some degree, but it's, it's, it's that plus is the way I would describe it. Now, the, the the problem, the laser therapy got a little bit of a, a bad rap, if you will, uh, because the cardiologist then tried to do it from the inside out. So they put a catheter inside the ventricle or trying to drill those channels uh, from inside out. But they, you couldn't do it all the way through the heart muscle like you could from the outside in uh, because you're then going to be poking holes that you're not going to have control over. If you're in the operating room, you've got complete control over that, that opening at the surface of the heart if you need to do something with it. So they were really only creating two or three millimeter divots inside the ventricle. And they were using a laser that was not designed to do this. And so when it didn't, quote, work uh, in a catheter-based approach, some people said, well, it's, 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 not, it's, it's not a viable alternative. But despite all that, uh, there have been literally hundreds, probably close to a million patients around the world that have been treated with it. And the results have, by and large, been very encouraging. People's angina classes, the amount of chest pain they're having has decreased significantly. And it's proven to be a safe addition to other therapies. If you're doing a bypass operation, you could add this to that very easily. Fantastic. And what I really appreciate is, and I've read some of your papers, they're pretty complex, but he, he spoke on a level that we can understand. Now, Keith, you have kind of an interesting sense of humor. And so I asked if you could tell us maybe a funny story about an operation or a situation. And don't talk about my golf swing. <laughs> well, I know the story. I've got a lot of stories of things that happened in the operating room. I know the story that tends to grab everyone's attention. And I, and I, and I don't know that this is, this is more dramedy than pure comedy. But there was a patient that I was involved uh, in the case as a resident, uh, and it was a 50-odd-year-old gentleman who came in with a, an acute heart attack, acute myocardial infarction, and needed an emergency operation. Uh, he'd suffered a lot of damage uh, to his heart muscle uh, and wasn't in the best shape overall. So it was a risky procedure. We, we took him to the operating room, and the attending physician, uh, had probably one of the, my favorite surgeons ever to operate with, uh, was was doing the case, but I was assisting him on it and doing a significant portion of the case with him. And at the whenever you finish a, a bypassing the heart, you have to try to get the patient off the heart-lung machine. You have to allow the heart to sort of recover and start to beat on its own, get the lungs to start to uh, ventilate the patient, and have the patient then take over uh, the work that's being done by the heart-lung machine. But that's not always successful. Uh, it, it depends how much damage the heart has sustained and, and just a number of other factors. So when we tried to come off the heart lung machine, we weren't able to. And so then you add different medications, you can put in different types of assist devices, but everything that we tried just was not looking favorable. We, we tried on many different approaches and we're in the operating room for hours. Finally, it was, a very common approach that this particular surgeon had was that before he decided that everything had been done, he would ask the people in the room if they thought we should continue or if, if, if there was anything else anybody thought we should do. And, and from a leadership point of view, I always found that as a, a fascinating approach because you, it's, it's definitely something you should do, right? Uh, because you don't want anybody walking out of that room thinking, we should have tried this. Um, and Invariably, people would say no, 
but in this particular case, he did. He brought it up. We tried and tried. We couldn't get the gentleman off of the heart lung machine. He said, is there anyone who thinks we should continue? And the drape uh, next to my side started to elevate, and the patient's hand was coming up. So the patient was raising his hand, basically saying, yeah, I think we should continue. Uh, and... And we did, and it was probably another hour, hour and <laughs> I should add, the surgeon at that point saw this, obviously, and he said, well, that's the only boat that counts. Uh, and so we persisted, and in fact, we were able to get him off the heart lung machine uh, and out of the operating room. And in fact, the patient ended up doing just fine. Um, and it was interesting for me a couple of days later, after he was off the ventilator and able to talk to him and, and all, all of that, I asked him if he remembered anything about the operation, anything at all, uh, and he had no recall, none whatsoever. Um, I didn't tell him about the incident. I, I think some of the nurses did later because he smiled uh, when I talked to him later, and he asked me about, why did you ask me about if I remembered anything? But the bottom line is that that's definitely a story uh, that people uh, appreciate. And, uh, again, Providence, some people would say sure. Other people would say some other mystic elements were at play. I don't believe that, but that's what happened. Well, thank you so much for your time and calling in here. And hopefully I can see you this summer if I can talk Lori into letting me come out there to the Kiowa and play. That would be great. And thank you for the opportunity. Happy to come back anytime if anybody else would like to hear uh, anything about medicine or heart surgery. Happy to share that. Okay. okay. Thank you. So we've got a number of verses up here, don't we? Thank you for participating. So here's what I'd like to do from this point on. And as a teacher, you learn to be flexible. Fire alarm goes off. You lose 20 minutes of your class. You're teaching Chem 1 three times a day. What do you do? You learn to be flexible. So I did not know how these things were going to go. That's about what I figured. 15 minutes with the interview and uh, 15 minutes with the uh, verses. So Joshua 24, 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel, your heart your heart. I want to talk about the function of the heart and diseases of the heart as soon as I talk about some of my verses. Did anyone say Matthew 6.21? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Of course, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. So, I looked up the Greek for heart, the word, the word is transliterated. We would say it cardia. I wonder if that's where cardiologist comes from. Cardiac arrest and so on. It's a noun, nominative, singular, feminine. And there are many uses of it. And it goes into quite detail here. But I would say this. The center of all physical and spiritual life. Have you thought about where the heart is located? 
it's not what you would say geographically in the center of your body, but it's pretty close. It's got to supply a lot of blood to the central nervous system, the brain, right? And supplying it this direction is more difficult than supplying it that direction where we have gravity to help us. So what do you think? How many ti times does cardia appear in the Bible? And I'm going to give you multiple choice. Ten times? Fifty times? What, am I missing something? <laughs> I'm just, just cardia in the Bible. <laughs> so make your choice here. What do you think? It's not ten times. I, w I mean, we have more than that. It's not a hundred times. It's not fifty times. About 150 times, cardia is the heart is very, very important. So, how many times does cardia appear in the Old Testament? Zero, fifty, a hundred, hundred fifty. 1,500 times. Make your selection. Don't you hate teachers? They always try to trick you, don't they? Have you, have you picked it up? It is not 50 times. Not 100. Not 1,500. Uh, why is it zero times? Cardia is Greek. The Old Testament is written in ancient Hebrew, and some Aramaic. I, I read his lips. Derek said. <laughs> Strong's Concordance says 158. I gave you 150. I don't have time to go and count them and see, see who is right. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 seven, your hearts. And that is the plural of cardia. I don't know any Greek. Somebody says, I know a little Greek who runs a restaurant up on the west side. <laughs> so here's heart. And I actually went to Google and, and had it translated for me. Cardia. Cardias, I don't know. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Hearts. I like to do this. It's been a while since I studied this, like a month ago. I had it ready. And I bring up the English on one side and the Greek on the other side, and it's all Greek to me, but here's your heart over here, and here it is in that passage. And the King James Version translates it properly. So this looks like a different word, doesn't it? <laughs> this is the Old Testament. You know, there's the ancient Hebrew down there. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And here's the word. And I put it in Google Translate, and then I looked it up and said, pronounce this word. Have you, have you done that before? And it was, lulu. <laughs> That's what it sounds like in ancient Hebrew. Lulu. All right, good. So this will throw you off if you use the Bible web app, because you're used to, I'm used to picking a verse or a word, and then it highlights it here, and then it highlights it there. If you do the Hebrew, it's backwards. You go here, and it goes there. And it doesn't line up right, and it looks very odd, very strange. I don't know anything about Hebrew. This is the BHS, the Biblia, Hebraica, Stuttgartensia. And this is the... Westminster Leningrad Codex. I know, it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> so, find all appearances, inner man, blah, 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 blah. 
Okay. The SBL, it is a Society of Biblical Literature, Greek New Testament. So all those things, you could do that study if you wanted to. You know, in just a couple of weeks, I think I could be a pastor. No, I don't. How many times does Google appear in the Bible? <laughs> 10 times, 50 times, 100 times, 250 times, or 1,500 times? What do you think? Was heart an important issue in the Old Testament? All right. Did you say 50 times? That's not it. 10 times, 100 times, 250 times. Did you get it right? How many have gotten more right so far? Good for you. Did you study Greek? And, no? <laughs> How many times does Google appear in the New Testament? Okay. I fooled you once. It's not going to work again. Okay. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Psalm 9.1 Create a pure heart in me, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so on and so forth. I want to talk about the science of it just a little bit. All right, we've already answered that. What are the functions of the heart? Pumping oxygenated blood to other parts of the body. Your cells need blood. Your cells need oxygen. They need nutrients. Pumping hormones and other vital substances to different parts of the body. Receiving deoxygenated blood and carrying metabolic waste products from the body. Pumping it into the lungs for oxygenation and maintaining blood pressure. Picture of Keith a few years ago. and the approximate percentages of the operations that he performed. I'm going to talk about some of those. That laser revascularization, that to me is just fascinating. So here's the heart. Are you familiar with the heart? We have a four-chambered heart. There are four chambers. What are the ones on top called? You know? They are called atriums. Now somebody goes, uh, that looks like it's on the left. Okay. You're looking at my heart. This is the right. There's my right atrium, my left atrium. The microphone. Left atrium. Then on the bottom, the ventricles. Left and right ventricles. The aorta pumps blood to the brain. Pulmonary artery, where's that go? To the lungs. Pulmonary vein, pulmonary vein, pulmonary valve. All this stuff has to work at the same time, doesn't it? It doesn't evolve over millions of years. Superior vena cava. And of course, Keith knows all about every part of the heart. I'm not sure I wanted to ask him this. I'll ask him. I was on the cutting edge of uh, video recording and video machines and VCRs and beta and VHS. And I had a uh, tape, a beta tape of an open heart surgery. I think I showed it to him in high school. And I also gave a warning ahead of time. Anybody that wants to go out in the hall or, or turn your seat around, do so. Because it was, of course it was um, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, 40 years ago. <laughs> and it's changed quite a bit. So here's an example of a coronary 
artery bypass graft, CAPG. Just one bypass. Somehow that has become clogged. And where do they get that bypass? They get it from the leg. My uncle, interestingly enough, was one of the first to do open heart surgery. Toward the end of his career, he was merely stripping the veins out of patients to provide for the doctor to do the open heart surgery. Most cardiac surgeons do 50, 60% of their practice as this bypass. Here's a double bypass. I was thinking of a double play. You see a double play in baseball, right? This is a double play. A triple play, have you seen a triple play? They do happen. Have you seen a quadruple play? Why not? Only three outs in an inning. Well, we'll get four outs and that one will carry over to the next inning. The heart is a muscle. It Just like every other muscle in your body, it needs oxygen. It needs nutrients. So if there's a blockage, one of those things is going to happen to you. Warning. Warning. You may find the following video upsetting. If you do, don't watch it, okay? To me, this is really cool. No sound? I'm going to turn mine on here. Time out. Are the veins blue and the arteries red? Is it the other way around? Did you dissect a frog when you were in ninth grade biology? I had I taught biology one year and I got the double injected frogs where they inject red dye into the arteries and blue dye into the veins. They they're only there so that you can understand their arteries and veins going to the heart muscle. That's the only reason they're colored there. By the way, I've seen some operations and everything in there's brown. Everything looks like everything else to me. Uh, I don't know what one thing is or the other. The valves are opening there. Opening and shutting. Incredible muscle. Unbelievable. I want to talk about the diseases of the heart. There are seven basic categories. Coronary heart disease, cerebrovascular disease, peripheral arterial disease. Coronary heart disease is a disease of the blood vessels supplying the heart muscle. This is a disease of the blood vessels supplying the brain. This is a disease of the blood vessel, blood vessels carrying blood to the arms and legs and the rest of the body. Rheumatic heart disease, congenital heart disease, and vein thrombosis. This is damage to the heart from rheumatic fever. I think we've pretty much conquered that in modern medicine, but it does happen occasionally. Birth defects. Blood clots in the leg veins, which can dislodge and move to the heart and lungs. 
And finally, AFib. You heard of AFib? We've had a couple of people in the church have, and the heart just goes crazy. What is your heart rate? Do you know? The average human heart rate is 72 beats per minute. Every year until about five years ago when I stopped jogging, 10 years ago, I'd go in and the, <laughs> the nurse would say, you're a jogger, aren't you? I go, yeah. Well, your heart rate's 52. It's always low. I don't know what it is now. I haven't checked it for a while. So this is an irregular and often rapid heart rhythm. My brother is a jogger, a runner. His heart rate is very low. can be in the 50s. He was running 150 to 200. And he had to have that figured out. Atrial fibrillation. You see, there's an electrical potential across the heart to cause it to beat. And so if that, if that rhythm is out of rhythm and it's going too fast or not going synchronized, you can have AFib. By the way, I'm not a doctor, but I slept at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So here's atri atrial fibrillation. So here's the treatment for AFib. And this was specifically for somebody that's not here today. I was going to give some suggestions. Medications. Therapy to reset the rhythm. Catheter procedures. Ablation. My brother had an ablation. They send the probes up, I think both of his veins, into the heart. One is a camera with a light. One is something to, to suture or use heat or cold to certain spots on inside of the heart, and they got them all hooked up and monitoring everything, and the first one did not work. He went back for a second one. Now he has a heart rate down there where it belongs. And removal from Dan Clark's class. 1,000 doctors surveyed, 99% said this would be the most effective way to treat AFib. I'm a teacher, Jim, not a doctor. I did sleep a holiday. Okay, all right. So some of you have had stents put in. This is kind of a recent thing, the last 15 or 20 years. Playing golf in a foursome a couple years ago, and I looked around, and three of the four guys, I was the only guy in the group that did not have a stent, and I felt like I deserved strokes. They didn't think it was funny either. <laughs> so there are about a million Americans per year that have stents put in. So I'm not going to have time to talk about the uh, SA node and the, the depolarization as it goes through the heart. But you saw it. You saw it beating there, didn't you? The heart. Americans usually have rates between 60 and 100 uh, beats per minute. Just imagine about one a second. Uh, th this is fantastic. The heart is fantastic. So in the past 30 minutes, at using 72 beats per minute, You've had over 2,000 heartbeats. The body is incredible. Leviticus 17, 13, and 14. Who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Do you think the author of Leviticus is also the author of the human body, and he knew that. This is kind of interesting. You've heard of Stacey Abrams, the current governor of Georgia? She's not the governor. She said there's no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. Have you talked to somebody on your phone? Maybe a son, a daughter, a nephew, a niece. You're not listening to their voice. 
you're listening to and they have their phone. It has a vibration device inside the phone. It hears the voice. It changes that voice, the sound waves, into electrical stimuli. It goes over the airwaves, comes to your phone where it reverses the process. You are listening to an electronic reproduction of that person's voice. You're not actually listening to their voice. <laughs> she has no idea what she's talking about. That is a baby's heartbeat. Yes, it has been amplified, but it is a heartbeat. What does the blood carry to your cells? Oxygen, sugars, vitamins, minerals, fats, proteins, hormones. The blood does one other thing. It's critical. It removes waste from your cells. If it doesn't do that, you're not surviving for long. Pacemakers, I had this up in my classroom. I said, pacemakers, it's taken 70 years to get to this pacemaker. Thousands and thousands of hours of research and study to make current pacemaker, right? But the heart, which is infinitely more complex, evolved by chance over millions of years? No, I don't think so. I didn't know if I was going to show this again. I don't think there is any reason to show that again. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And then I've told you before, <laughs> I think, what, how can I bring it to a close? One of my favorite verses. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, the inner being, the soul, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The last verse that I heard before I accepted Christ. had a prize 